Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. Father Tim, let's unpack these first two fruits of the Holy Spirit in our series on the Holy Spirit, walking through the 12 gifts. I hope by then you can memorize what all 12 of them are, but today we'll give you two. That is joy and peace. Father Tim, uh, joy, man, it's one of those, I think, topics that people often misunderstand. They think that joy and happiness are interchangeable. Uh, but the reality is, is that the good news is, is that joy is actually free of the fleeting emotion of happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It's transitory, just like giddiness. You can be giddy one moment, sorrowful the next. Joy is abiding. It's really living this grace-filled life, which is why it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And We'll continue to unpack it, but I think also it's living with a providential outlook on life, understanding God's providence, God's timing, God's gifts, God's yes, God's no, and entrusting yourself to that in letting go of the fear. But that requires that we first love him. And that's why when Thomas Aquinas explains these 12 fruits, he actually talk, talks about charity, that is love first, claiming that joy essentially stems from charity, that we rejoice when we have that which we love, that which is God. Right. And it's not just loving God as if that's some small thing, right? As if there needs to be more, but it's being loved by God. He refers to Romans 5, 5, how the, the love of God is poured into our hearts uh, by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. And, and he says it's a necessary result uh, that love leads to joy because, and I, I love this, that the, every lover rejoices at being united to the beloved. And so when we receive charity, that is the Holy Spirit itself, joy comes with that. And, and again, going back to hinds feet on high places and sorrow and suffering being transformed into joy and peace is that it's so much deeper than our emotions. And this is something I've been wrestling with in prayer the last uh, week or so, is this idea that letting ourselves love, be, being loved by God is difficult because sometimes we convince ourselves that you know, I'm only being loved by God when I feel it. Like when I, mm -hmm. when I wreck my heart up so that I like, oh, I feel you loving me, God. When being loved by God is so much more than feeling loved by God. And so joy comes from that deeper place that, you know, involves emotions sometimes. Sometimes emotions are on the surface of joy, but joy is such a deeper experience that even in the midst of suffering and sorrow, when we are loving in that place, that the necessary result of that love of charity is joy, Thomas Aquinas says. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. That's that's quickly becoming one of my favorite moments in his writings is that, that idea that joy comes from charity and then peace comes from joy. And so let's let's look into that a little bit. Mm, yes, but before we do, I can't help but Father Tim keep thinking of the Eucharist. When I think mm. of this connection between charity and joy, it's interesting because I was reading the uh, catechism from the 
Council of Trent. And I kept looking up the word to joy. And it's so funny because the only places where it talked about joy was in relation to the Eucharist. And when I was reading Thomas Aquinas, understanding that, well, joy comes from charity. Well, the greatest love of God we could have is really in many ways here on earth for Eucharistic. That's Eucharistic joy. If you want to grow in joy, receive and delight in our Lord Jesus Christ, truly present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist and resting and delighting in God, our soul's desire. And I think that that's where the tie into peace kind of comes as well, Father Tim, because as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. peace, that second um, that we'll discuss today, that second fruit of the Holy Spirit flows from joy. You need, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, I think you just mentioned it, the perfection of joy is peace. And he breaks down two different types of peace that occur and are necessary for this joy. He says, essentially, the external things aren't disturbing you from your enjoyment in God. So that's one way that peace is helpful. And the other, so basically, that means there are no stumbling blocks getting in the way. You're at peace. So you're able to rejoice. Uh, And then the second is your desire rest on that one object that is God. So your desire for other, for other things aren't there. You're just focused on God. And so that peace is possible in joy, allowing joy to occur. Yeah. And especially as we pray with that gospel for Pentecost, where Jesus arrives in the upper room, still bearing the wounds of the cross, but in a glorified way after the resurrection. And the first words he says to them are not like, where were you? Why did you abandon me? No, it's, and it's, it's, it's not even, you know, hail like the angel to Mary at the beginning of Luke's gospel, but rather it's, it would be shalom, that peace, which is deeper than simply the absence of strife. And so that would be the first kind of peace that Thomas refers to is that one is not disturbed in the enjoyment of the beloved good. And so it's, you know, peace, peace is that, but it's more than simply uh, avoiding strife. It means you're, you actually get to enjoy and, be, and love and be loved by uh, that which your desire rests. So it's, it's more than just an absence of war, peace, but rather peace is this fullness and this abundance of the joy that flows out of charity, which we experience most clearly in the Eucharist. And so I, I love the way that, you know, he has set this question up of, you know, whether or not the, the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit uh, are properly enumerated, he, he asks the question. If, they, uh, if, if 12 is a proper and fitting number, and it's, it's Thomas's beautiful way of writing where he can show how each one flows out of the other, and that indeed, 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit uh, that's the way that God meant for it to be, and that's the way that we've received it. Is I look kind of transitioning, Father Tim, into peace, because as you said, they all flow one from the other. Mm-hmm. Reading that the perfection of joy is peace, it really makes you stop and wonder, well, what is peace? I think we live in a culture that is seemingly very disgruntled and lacking in peace right? and from our uneasiness with, with silence, our constant need to be berated by noise and advertisements, some not always by choice, but just what we're used to. And just go to the grocery store, to the airport, you see that people are uncomfortable with eye contact and they're quickly reaching for their phone as soon as they can. I mean, I've 
been guilty of this and I have to intentionally leave my cell phone in the car while I go grocery shopping so I don't find myself at the checkout picking up my phone because I can't handle 10 seconds of just awkwardness or and it's not awkwardness but we perceive things as that and so I want to unpack a little bit more of what St. Thomas Aquinas says when it comes to peace and helping us to understand how peace is a disposition of the mind that's good and that we all need. Yeah, you're so right about looking out at our culture and in our, into our own hearts of the way that we, not only do we not have peace, but we find ways to uh, cover that up and to distract ourselves. I mean, I was just at you know an LAX last night, and I would sit down at a table waiting for my flight, and you know, there's a couple sitting at the table next to me. Now, you know, not to judge their hearts or anything like that, but they were literally both looking at their phones the whole time they were sitting there. Like, I don't think they made eye contact until it was time for them to get up and go to their flight. <laughs> it's like, they were clearly together. And and so just kind of, you know, I, I was just sitting there, like just sitting at the table. Like when I go places like that, I, I do my best purposely not to pull my phone out, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it, it, you know, kind of people watch a little bit. But just kind of try to sit there in peace without the distractions that everyone else is taking on. Yes. And so I think, uh, you know, there's a severe lack of peace, not just when we look at, uh, you know, war in the world right now, but uh, in our own hearts and the ways that we're just where we are in a place of just tremendous opportunity for encounter and evangelization at the airport and on planes. And, uh, you know, I, as soon, whenever I walk into the plane, I kind of uh, make a little sign of the cross, a little blessing on the outside of the plane, um, you know, kind of a little bit like keep us safe, but also just like making that bold prayer of like, if there's someone that wants to talk about you, Jesus, like point me in their direction. But I'm finding less and less because of the distractions people have, uh, less and less people want to talk. At airports, and you know, I'm not entirely against that. I kind of like having my space in a place like that or on a plane. <laughs> I very rarely have anybody that wants to talk about religion and faith and the church and Jesus when I'm, you know, on the plane. And I fly in my cassock, and so I'm very clearly a priest walking around the airport. But especially with the the pandemic, I think fewer and fewer people yes. are wanting to interact with one another, and we find our distractions. And there is a lack of peace coming from that because I'm sure Thomas would say the same: is that you know peace is not a thing that happens in isolation. You know, again, peace is not an absence of war. Peace is not the absence of the presence of your enemies. True peace, the shalom that Jesus brings to his apostles the night he rises from the dead means that you love your enemies, not that you have none. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. It's interesting you mentioned that. I know it's a bit of a side ta tangent, but that peace that many people I think are struggling with, we ourselves are, I noticed that too. I used to always you know, make sure I wasn't on my phone too much, that I you know, never walk around with headphones in, that I say hello to the people that get on the airplane with me. I would have the most incredible conversations and most of them turned to God. I mean, I sat there one time reading the Bible side by side with someone and giving this woman a Bible that I had no idea why I was inspired to buy a Bible when I was at a Catholic bookshop. I'm like, Lord, I have a bunch of Bibles. I'm traveling cross country. Why do I need this? And then lo and behold, here I am on the airplane with it. Uh, it was incredible, but I have noticed the same thing um, since COVID. And I also thought maybe it's because I'm traveling with a baby now too, which could be bold between the mask thing and the kid you know they might not be as interested in engaging but it 
it's interesting to see that lack of comfort and peace people have in just engaging with others or that they think by not engaging with other people, they are more at peace or more comfortable. Uh, But let's unpack peace a little bit more because I think that Understanding when Thomas Aquinas says that peace is a good disposition of the mind, uh, he mentions two things in the Summa where he talks about it means not being disturbed when evil threatens. So essentially that's related to patience. You know, when when evil is possibly imminent, um, that we're not disturbed by it. Uh, we have peace. We're standing solid in God. But also, he says, we have this disposition of the mind by not being disturbed when good things are also delayed to us. Yeah, so that means that peace is still available to us in the midst of sorrow and suffering and strife. So again, going back, it, you know, peace is not just the absence of strife and the absence of war, but it's something that can happen within us and within our communities, even in the midst of sorrow and suffering, even when evil is threatening, that uh, you know, the, the people I want to listen to most in the church and in the world are the people who seem to have a peacefulness about everything that's happening around them. Not, not like, oh, that's just what's happening. I, I, there's nothing I can do about it. But it's a, a trust and there's a, you know, that, that palpable joy that you can tell that like, you know, the gospel means something to them. And they can look to Jesus on the crucifix and say, that's what peace looks like. And they have that real encounter with it. And so that's what I, I hope to become someone like that one day, that in, you know, a, certain, a certain calmness and peacefulness in the midst of a war that's raging around us. And I think that's the kind of peace that Jesus is offering us because the world can't offer us that kind of peace. That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Ray. And I kind of final thought on the fruit of peace. Peace requires trust. It helps us against anger, jealousy, fear, anxiety, and any number of things we might be struggling with. We're going to talk about the fruit of charity today and also about the spirituality of the fathers of St. Joseph. They have four pillars that all of us can learn from, not just fathers, when it comes to embracing our state in life, our prayer life, and how we can grow in that. Devin Schatt, welcome back to Trending. I'm so excited that you can join me as we're unpacking these 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit and today unpacking specifically that fruit of charity. Thank you, Timory. Yeah, it's great to be on your show. I wanted to talk with you about charity today. It's interesting as we're starting this series on the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned yesterday that it really seems as if there's only one day of the year that we kind of remember the Holy Spirit and celebrate the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. And then after that, we just move along. Yet this whole tradition, this breath of the church and the many virtues, the fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit are completely lost. And so one of my hopes Mm. is that by the end of this, we're really working toward moving in the mode of the Holy Spirit. And one of those virtues that we'll unpack now is charity. St. Thomas Aquinas, when talking about the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, Devin, uh, talks about how, first of all, the Holy Spirit himself is a gift. And he says the Holy Ghost is given in a special manner as in his own likeness, since he himself is love. And so what he's saying is that, yes, Yes, 
love, charity is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but actually that's who he is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's giving himself in the exact likeness of exactly what he is. And for a moment, Devin, I want your thoughts on that to just kind of rest on realizing that God is literally giving himself to us and giving his life to us. And that is a life of love in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, St. Thomas Aquinas actually begins his section on charity in the Summa, I believe, by talking about how how love, charity, is actually friendship. And so the Holy Spirit's whole mission is to engage us in this real friendship with Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting because when Jesus is talking about charity, he says, this is my command. So it's very important. Jesus is giving us his command, not the mitzvah, the 613 uh, Jewish legal prescriptions, the Mm -hmm. 10 commandments he reduces into a single command. This is my command that you love one another as I love you. And he says right there in John 15, he says, if you are my friends, if you love me, then you are my friends. And if you are my friends, then you'll keep my commands. And these things I command you, that you love one another. So there's this kind of like this level of thinking and approach to Christ. He says, basically, to love as Christ loves, demand that we be friends with Christ. To be his friend demands that we keep his commands. To keep his commands, that means we have to love one another, even our enemies. So this is kind of like boom, 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 the steps. So the Holy Spirit, as you're talking about, that great gift, God himself, charity, infusing us with his person, that love, so that we can actually be friends with Christ, which at times is going to get us in trouble with the world. Mm. It's interesting as you talk Mm. about that, because the hatred is something that I think many people struggle with and maybe Mm. don't realize it. It kind of rears its head in jealousy and envy. Uh, It can happen in small ways, just with the fact that we're willing to viscerally react in various ways to people. And so this fruit of the Holy Spirit is a pretty big deal because it helps in combating uh, much of the angst that we tend to have with one another, even if we might not necessarily peg it as hatred or loathing per se. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And if you, I mean, if I was just to do a laundry list on, you know, kind of like my default sins, you know, whether it's envy or jealousy or whatever it is, generally at the bottom of it is because, first of all, I'm not really being a friend of Christ. And because I don't believe I have his friendship, I think a lot of us deep down were wounded. And therefore, we lack a real trust in Christ or in God the Father, where we believe that we have. God's friendship. And then when we don't, when we're not solid in that true friendship with Christ, then we begin to, we want to bring people down to our level. So envy, jealousy, greed, whatever it is, it's going to help us to level the playing field. And then those are indicators right there. I'm not operating by the Holy Spirit. I'm not being a friend of Christ. And so therefore I need to dig deep and find out why. What is it? And usually it's a lack of trust. And that trust is bound in filial or uh, servile fear, you know, a fear of punishment. Let's talk a little bit about something you discuss in one of your books that came out more recently. And that has to do with the idea of love incurring hatred. 
Yeah, sure. I I just wrote a book for Lent last year called Jesus's Way, uh, the 46-day Lenten journey to becoming unconquerable in Christ. And the world, see, the world's version of virtue is embodied by getting along or avoiding moral judgments, you know, uh, proclaiming the gospel of niceness, right? So peace, kindness, love, these are all terms that the secular culture has hijacked. You know, they've disfigured it and, and reinterpreted these terms. And so what they, why they do that, in a sense, is so that the Christian person might become manageable, might even become ashamed of his moral convictions. And so, but the problem is, is to love Christ is to hate evil. And so where the modern secular cult is upset because we're holding fast to our convictions because it appears to be unkind and uncharitable. Like, because a lot of times, even if we're not pronouncing a judgment on the culture, even if we're not acting in a condemnational way, many people believe that just even if we are believing in Christ, that just that very presence is an imposition on others and it's an imposition on their beliefs. And so Whenever we decide to love charity, that means we're going to be friends with Christ. And as St. Thomas tells us, friendship is having the same will as the other. And so if we're really friends with Christ, we're going to have the same will as Christ. And the same will of Christ is to keep his commands. Okay, And those commands are going to run contrary to the culture. And when we're keeping his commands, we we stick out like a sore thumb. And immediately, just by our, by our very presence, we incur a type of hatred or loathing upon ourselves. You think you're better, you know. You think you're you think you're more, you know, moral, you know, whatever it is. But the key here is that we are to every time we love, we're actually hating evil. And if we hate evil, we're going to love. And so that's where the division happens in our culture. And it's perfect for what you were talking about just a minute ago with Pride Month. So why can't we just all get along? You know, why can't we just get with the program and, you know, let everybody do their own thing? Well, because unfortunately there are real loves and they're disordered loves and any kind of disordered love is a movement towards evil and towards hell. And we don't want people to go that way. So we need to be the voice and the presence of God's truth. And when we are the voice and presence of God's truth about loving in the right way, in a properly ordered way, the Trinitarian ordered way, we're going to incur the wrath or the hatred or the loathing of the world. Hmm. It's interesting as you're talking about this, Devin, because it reminds me, and if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio, that's Devin Shaw. We're talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit of charity. We're in the middle of a series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. And when you're talking about this misunderstanding circling around love, and even in light of Pride Month, you know, a lot of people will say, well, love is love. <laughs> you know, you should be able to do whatever you want. And I think I've banged my head in the sand a few times at the beach talking to friends from college who <laughs> I thought knew better and that yet we're still having these same conversations. But what you said really reminded me of how important it is to look at uh, the Greek terminology for the word love, especially when we're talking about this fruit of the Holy Spirit and how, you know, three of, because there are multiple types of love uh, that we read about in other languages such as Greek, but in English, we're really just kind of reduced to that one word love. We say we love our dog. I say I love this book. I say I love my mom. I say I love my husband. You know, all of these different people and things and ideas, but 
it's different. Yeah, in Greek, one of the breakdowns for love um, is eros, which would be a passionate type of love. One that if that's the only type of love that we have, it can actually become erotic. This is where the word erotic comes from. But passion, a passionate love in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But again, it can't be left on its own. Uh, there's the philia love that is the brotherly love, a friendship type of love. And then the third that I want to focus in on today is a which is known as the love of God. And when we talk about a culture, Devin, that says love is love, and that is used to promote a you do you mentality, anything goes, you know, you're not hurting me if you look at pornography, you know, you're just enjoying that yourself. You're not hurting me if you engage in same sex relationships. This is kind of what people say, like, if you're happy, do it. But the reality is, is that if we understand love in its truest sense, which the perfection of love would be agape love being the love of God. Well, God is perfectly ordered. God created mm -hmm. the human person and he loves us and created us with proper functions and a proper end that are only possible in him. And this is why this virtue, this fruit of the Holy Spirit of charity is so important because I think, Devin, it will help us break through these ideologies in the culture that many are falling prey to and that by the confirmation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, by the coming of the Holy Spirit in the baptism, these gifts are being given to us, but we're not allowing them to be fostered to help us as we kind of battle these ideologies today. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, the idea love is love. I mean, what are we really even saying there? I mean, are we saying that love is acceptance or love is peace, a false kind of peace? I mean, really, if we're saying what you're saying, we're saying love is agape. And agape, to love something, as St. Thomas Aquinas defines it, it, or to love, is to wish the good to it for its own sake, not for oneself. Mm -hmm. So if I love God, I'm wishing the good for God's sake, not for myself. If I'm loving a person, I'm wishing the good for their own sake. And the ultimate good, as St. Thomas also tells us, is beatitude. We want them in heaven. We don't want them in hell for all eternity. And so part of this is just getting to the bottom line of what is God's love? What does that really mean? And I mean, we could go a million different directions on that, but mm -hmm. I think the Trinity really lays it out because the Trinity is really three attributes, distinction, unity, and fruitfulness. These are the marks of the Trinity. So you've got distinction, three persons, Father, Son, distinct persons, Holy Spirit, who live in the unity, unity of the Holy Spirit. And from that unity, that oneness, that one essence, there is life, love, bliss, rapture, creativity, you know, power, and it flows from it. So God says, let's make man in our image and likeness. So he doesn't make them homo. He makes them hetero, distinct, call the unity, complementarity. And from that complementarity, there is fruitfulness, life, both spiritual and physical. And that's how we image the Trinity. And so you can look at any kind of sexual disorder or proposal and say, does it have the three marks of the Trinity? Whether it's pornography, masturbation, adultery, infidelity, homosexuality, um, transgenderism, all these things, you, you can look at these and compare them. And do they bear, do they have those three marks? And if they don't, it's not a properly ordered love. It's not the Trinitarian order. It's a disordered love. And so what we want to do is we want to even like, so lust, many people struggle with lust. That's disordered, mm -hmm. right? That's not saying you're disordered. It's just saying that it's a disorder. 
So we struggle with our disorders and we try to call upon the Holy Spirit in friendship to animate us so that we can be properly ordered in love. And there is nothing more freeing than to be properly ordered in love because then we can be fruitful and, and we can be peaceful and happy. And I think that a lot of times telling people, oh no, love is love and just do what you want is actually very frustrating because you're telling them to do something that actually can't bring them happiness. And I think that's at the heart of this. We will not be happy if we separate ourselves from the love of God. And by the grace of God, there goes I, because that is the great gift. St. Paul reminds us it is literally the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is the Mm -hmm. fruit of charity. Today on Trending, we're continuing our series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Catechism of the Catholic Church says that the fruits of the Holy Spirit are perfections that the Holy Spirit forms in us as the first fruits of eternal glory. In other words, these fruits of the Holy Spirit help in making this roadmap toward heaven that we're thinking and acting with. As one priest once said some years ago, Father John Trez to me, he said, it helps us to think with the instincts of God, uh, the virtues, the attributes to function as God functions. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and these are the fruits of the Holy Spirit functioning in us, letting go of our own human frailty or even that constant need to perform and do it all ourselves. It's rather stressful. There's a reason that our culture is imploding as we've taken God out of the picture, but we think we have to do it all ourselves. The reality is we can't. And that's why the virtues and specifically the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, today of which we're talking about patience, is so important. We've walked through the fruits of love, of peace, and also of joy. But today we're talking about patience. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about patience regarding not being disturbed when evil threatens. I find that particularly pertinent in the culture we live in today, where we're talking even today about the mass murder in Uvalde, Texas, and uh, what happened with the attempt on Justice Brett Kavanaugh's life this morning, in all of these things that we hear, the angst that so many people have and the acts that many people have to grind, including ourselves, whether it be at the evil we see in the world or the wrong done to us, I think that it's a reminder of how important this virtue, this fruit of the Holy Spirit's patience is. Again, St. Thomas Aquinas referred to it as not being disturbed when evil threatens. Patience allows us to have compassion over people in spite of their flaws and weaknesses. It helps in orienting us toward what we're all called to, even when it's difficult, and that is unconditional love and mercy. The great philosopher Aristotle calls patience, quote, the voluntary and prolonged endurance of arduous and difficult things for the sake of virtue of profit. So what he's saying is, is that patience helps us in willingly entering in a long period of time where we endure very difficult, arduous things for the sake of a good. And this is something that our culture in a certain respect is lost. We love immediate gratification. We have instant communication. 
we're all guilty of this. I'll send a text message and want an immediate response, even though I don't want everyone to expect an immediate response from me as if I'm checking my phone all the time. And our patience is dwindling and it's fading quickly. Yet this is a virtue. It's one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so as we're in this season of pondering the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit and the gift and reality of Jesus Christ sending us the advocate, the counselor, that is God himself, the Holy Spirit, to animate our lives, we need to pray and be predisposed, ready to receive these great gifts and virtues and fruits of the Holy Spirit. means we're praying morning and night. That means we're going to Mass regularly and receiving our Lord Jesus Christ and receiving Him in a state of grace. That means going to confession regularly. This is when and where we will see the fruits of the Holy Spirit poignantly working in our lives to bring about good in a culture that often seems dark, but with Christ we see the light of the world. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We're working our way through this 12-part series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, remembering that God promised, Jesus Christ promised, before his death and even in his resurrection, before his ascension, that he would send the Holy Spirit, the advocate. He was literally saying, I'm going to give you the life of God to animate you, to work in you, to live out the commandments and the life I'm calling you to. What he's saying is that no matter our brokenness, no matter the mistakes we've made, he is fully and completely giving himself to us, giving us a third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And with that comes the gifts and the fruits and all the virtues of the life of God. And that is, in part, we've been talking about these 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk about the virtue of chastity. Chastity, just to speak briefly to it, it's so important. We've been talking about it really all hour, but at the heart of it, understanding it's for people married and unmarried, spouses, single people, priests, religious sisters. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the catechism of the Catholic Church emphasizes that chastity is faithfulness to your vocation. It's a recognition, yes, of attractions that we all have, but it's a recognition of the virtue that we are capable of as human persons. Whether you experience any sort of ordered or disordered attraction, whether you're married or unmarried, struggling with interest in someone else when you're married to your spouse, what it calls for As St. John Paul II spoke of in Evangelium Vitae, he says, chastity is a virtue which fosters personal maturity and makes one capable of respecting, not just respecting others, but respecting ourselves. And with that, it helps in fostering healthy, wholesome relationships. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We're walking through our 12-part series on the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and I want to talk about the fruit, also known as a virtue, of goodness. I talked to my daughter, again, she's 17 months, about being a good girl. I'll tell her, be a good girl. I'll even, she'll even say it back to me. She'll even whimper when my husband sternly says to her, bad girl, when she's been an absolute pill. It's interesting, we talk to kids about being good, 
then don't say much of it as the years pass. We might mention someone being a good person or call ourselves a good person almost defensively for, for ourselves or others. But we also say God is good. Young groups at massive religious youth group events have this chant where one side, one part of the group will chant God is good and the other will say all the time and then the other says all the time and the other group says God is good. I always interpreted this to refer to God's perfection, his love, his beauty, those attributes of God which we love and appreciate so dearly. But it's interesting when we really think about it because what does goodness mean for all of us? not just for children. Being good involves constant, this is important, being good, that virtue of goodness that we're all meant to personify, involves constantly renouncing evil in our day-to-day actions. Uh, When we are good, that means we are constantly seeking the path of righteousness and striving to do God's will even at the expense of earthly success. St. Joseph is someone who is known as a righteous man. You could also argue good. He was a good man. Uh, Why? Because even in the midst of difficult circumstances, he sought the path of righteousness. He strove to do God's will even at the expense of of earthly success, of earthly ridicule when people might question what happened. How did Mary become pregnant? And he took responsibility and ownership for that baby, baby Jesus and the Blessed Virgin Mary. Again, when we talk about uh, renouncing evil and choosing good and foregoing earthly success, I even think of it an example when I was growing up. My parents had a really good uh, financial investment that they were making. I believe it was in a stock in a various company. And they ended up letting go of the stock because the company was involved in some form to start to get involved in embryonic stem cell research. And so when they found out, they knew that they were morally responsible to let go of that investment. It's an investment that had they held on to would have led to extreme wealth for them. But doing the good and right thing was more important. It brought greater peace. And even if things weren't financially easy, they don't have regrets to this day because they did what was right. And that's not always easy. When we talk about being good, that means constantly renouncing evil in our day-to-day lives. That means we have to know the difference between good and evil identify evil for what it is, call it for what it is, avoid it at all costs, not cooperate, not back down, hold ourselves and others to the standard of goodness, not just children saying please and us considering that good, not just a child sharing us considering that good. Our standard of goodness and expectation should continuously grow as we become older. There's a quote that I think is most telling about when we are younger from St. Don Bosco. He says, in every young person, a point of goodness is accessible. And it is the primary duty of the educator to discover that sensitive court of the heart so as to draw out the best in the young person. That is, to draw out the goodness in every human being. We should be forming and shaping that virtue, that fruit of the Holy Spirit of goodness early on. We should be praying for it. Because if we don't, as the years go on, there will be a lot of adults struggling and floundering to know what the good even is.
You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. As I mentioned before, we are in our series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Today, talking about that fruit of faithfulness, coming off of the Feast of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, remembering that the Holy Spirit is the gift, the counselor, the advocate given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize that these fruits, also virtues, are so important in our lives. I want to tell you a little story that is story of Jesus Christ when he's implementing, speaking of the Eucharist, that bread of life discourse that we know comes from John chapter 6, where the disciples and Jews are murmuring against Jesus. And the Jews were discussing, disputing among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus is literally telling them, you are going to not, if you actually read the original Greek and get into the into reading the text, Jesus literally tells them that they are going to gnaw on his raw flesh. They are literally going to drink his blood. And so they knew exactly what he was saying. There was no question about his meaning. Now we read in John chapter 6 that many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Okay, why do I bring up this story in the midst of a conversation about the fruit of the Holy Spirit of faithfulness? Well, I think that St. Peter gives us a glimpse of the faithfulness that he had, but also the faithfulness he struggled with. Here is this crisis for the church. After this, many disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. They were scandalized by what Jesus Christ was saying. They found it something hard to believe and something difficult to be faithful in. And so when Jesus asked the 12 apostles, will you go away as well? St. Peter speaks for the 12 and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? I think that that statement is what we need to remember when we struggle with something that happens in the church, a scandal. We struggle with being faithful to a teaching that might be as difficult as believing in the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. That might be as difficult as The fact that we're called to go to confession and confess our sins, our mortal sins. There are a lot of difficult things to fully give ourselves to an obedience to the church. But St. Peter, on one of the most difficult teachings that Jesus had given yet, when Jesus is asking, will you go too? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter trusted Jesus. He had faith in Jesus Christ, and this is the faith that we need. Now, Grant, 
Peter's story isn't over. He clearly struggled with faith and fidelity because as we know, he didn't stay by Jesus Christ's side at the cross and he denied Jesus Christ three times, although he did come back and that speaks volumes to his faith. And in the end, he died crucified upside down because he considered himself unworthy to die the same fate that Jesus Christ did. And so this gives us, I think, one example of faith that even when things are difficult, we need to say to ourselves, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. That is an act of faith. Remember that faith is also a theological virtue. We're talking about faithfulness. Chastity, as we talked about the other day, is one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. And chastity And I think one of the best definitions from the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about how chastity is faithfulness to your vocation. God centers us on being faithful to what he calls us to. And chastity is a part of that. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, when talking about faith, and again, we're talking about this fruit of the Holy Spirit of faithfulness, this all correlates and overlaps with one another. The Catechism in... Paragraphs 8, 14 through 16, let's talk a little bit about what it says. It says, Faith is a theological virtue by which you believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us. And the Holy Church proposes for our belief because he is truth himself. So in other words, faith is that virtue. Faithfulness is what helps us to believe all that God has revealed. To help us be faithful to the church because what God is revealing is truth itself. We read from the Catechism that by faith, a man freely commits his entire self to God. You can't do that without faith. Catechism also writes that the disciple of Christ must not only keep the faith and live on it, but also profess it, confidently bearing witness to it and spreading it. So in our faithfulness, we must live out our faith, profess our faith, witness to it, and spread it. Faithfulness is a very, very high calling, but it's not that bad when we recognize it's a theological virtue and it's one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill us with the fruit of faithfulness. Okay, often a cringeworthy topic in, let's say the secular world or even church communities is the topic of modesty. Modesty is one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, which we've been unpacking in our series following up on Pentecost. If you missed any of the series, please go listen to the podcast, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Tomorrow we're talking about self-control with Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored. But let's talk about modesty. Let's perhaps start with a broader definition of modesty than most people think in even just going with a basic dictionary-esque definition, modesty has to do with the quality or even state of being unassuming or moderate in many areas. Everything from clothing to speech to how we carry our bodies uh, to how reserved we may or may not be, how self-conscious or bashful or timid. And it's interesting because often some people will say, oh, you're being modest. Let's say if someone gives you a comment, uh, a compliment, and perhaps you downplay it a little bit, or maybe even you accept it graciously, uh, people say, oh, you're modest or you're too modest. 
almost as if um, you are timid or resistant or reserved. Modesty is a good thing. We either talk about it almost as a criticism of someone when they receive a compliment not quite as we'd think, possibly even pridefully, or when we think about clothing. And I think that it's difficult today for many people to think about modesty because there isn't a broader guideline. And I think that if we talk about modesty when it comes to moderation, uh, self-control, and some of the other virtues that help us in understanding that this is really meant to touch on things for men and women of all ages, not just teenagers, not just girls, uh, it really touches on clothing, it touches on speech, it touches on actions and behaviors. It's always been fascinating to me to look at Vogue magazine and look at I have a beautiful uh, book that I love to dive into that covers Vogue magazines from the 20th century and there are so many where I see it nearly identical outfits in a 50-year span let's say one in 1930 and one in 1980 it could be the same exact outfit but the way the model is carrying her body looks drastically drastically different one has a come hither uh, i'm easy type of look and the other has a very poised uh, controlled respectful reverent type of pose it's all about how we carry our body wearing the same exact thing in some instances now saint thomas aquinas when talking about modesty refers to it as a virtue that encompasses our exterior actions either in deeds or in words and again so often modesty is reduced to clothing clothing and i think that that's why we can't stand modesty especially in the 21st century it was so hard i remember as a teenager Finding clothing that was modest at that time, you know, Grant, the belly shirts weren't as popular as they are now, but in a lot of clothes were just difficult. The shorts were too short. The shorts are even shorter now. The belly shirts are all the rage today. I, I, I make fun of some of this because I'll see, like, that's a quarter of a short of a shirt. And I remember 10 or 15 years ago when I'd make fun of butt cheek shorts because basically that's what they were. But now it's like, no, I, I can see more than that. And it's too much. I remember being at the mall one day and this mom was walking with a couple of her daughters. and Evidently, they're her daughters. And I could see so much. And I just want to say, like, does she know? both the girl, but also does the mom know? Can, can she see that? And I think that that's what's so difficult is that when we talk about modesty, we think about just clothing, but it's more than that. It's a, a persona. It's an attitude. It's an approach to how we live, how we speak, how we interact, and to let virtue enter into all dimensions of how we think and apply that to our speech and our actions. It actually says a lot about what we think of ourselves. If we think that our bodies need to be flaunted, if we think we need to move in a way in which must attract attention, if we think we need to speak in a way that must attract attention, it, it really helps us to see that life isn't just about us. Life isn't about always being seen. And sometimes I think what's so hard about modesty is some people never learn modesty until they feel like they're no longer seen. Maybe they put on some weight. Uh, maybe they are at a point in a relationship or a marriage where they aren't admired as much as they were. Maybe they're experiencing singleness for prolonged years and they're wondering why. 
And maybe it took all of those years to realize that the virtue of modesty is actually a good thing. And that self-respect and moderation and word and deed and clothing, all of this influences how others view us because of the way we view ourselves in the very image that we're creating for others. And so as I think about this fruit of the Holy Spirit and also a virtue, the virtue of modesty, we need to pray for this virtue because it speaks volumes to our self-perception. It speaks volumes to whether or not we will truly, truly suffer from pride and self-absorption or whether we'll start to see a way in which we can move forward in a path of self-respect, of gathering all the pieces and components of all who we are, body and soul, and create a persona, we could say, that encompasses that. And so often when we talk about modesty, we talk about being a child of God and respecting our bodies. Sometimes it's hard to get there and see that. That just because I'm God's daughter, does that mean I should dress a particular way? And is the particular way that you think is modest, is that helping you to discover yourself in a good way? Or is it helping you in a negative way in that you hate and reject what you believe modesty is? If you hate modesty, I think it's important to take a deep dive and just to pray to the Holy Spirit for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I love about these 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. God knows we cannot do this alone. And so he is giving us these supernatural graces, these infused gifts and fruits so that we can live out the fullness of our human identity only by the grace of God. Come Holy Spirit, fill us with the fruit of modesty. Help us to grow in virtue so that we can be united to you in heaven. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio. We're talking about the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, one of which is so important, that is self-control. We often reduce self-control to the idea of how much food we do and don't eat. And when we have that extra helping every night or just at Thanksgiving meal and we head into the realm of gluttony, we think about it in those moments, but do we really think about it otherwise? Do we think about the reality that self-control touches all areas of our choices Moment to moment, day in and day out, joining me now to discuss this is Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored, helping people who are struggling with sexual addiction and pornography use and the wounds and the fallout from that, especially if perhaps you've been hurt by a loved one who's been looking at pornography. Check them out at integrityrestored.com. That's integrityrestored.com. Jim, let's talk about the Holy Spirit, the absolute gift the Holy Spirit is, and these fruits that are offered to us, one of which being self-control. When you think about self-control, especially work in the field you do of the issue of pornography and sexual addiction, to Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored. He'll be right back with us in just a moment. It's interesting because every day we have choices to make when it comes to everything from what we'll eat today, what movie we'll watch, if we'll binge watch a second TV show, 
If you'll pay attention to your child rather than looking at your phone for too long, every moment to moment, there's so many moments kind of as uh, serious and as moral as some some of those or as simple as how will you do your hair today? Will you eat chicken or will you eat a vegetable? So many choices are before us and in the heart of every choice is a means, a balance between virtue and vice and self-control is part of what helps us in moderating but not just moderating but controlling what we will choose how much when the right timing waiting and i think of this when it comes to the series that we've been doing on the 12 fruits of the holy spirit It's particularly poignant right now because I think the great gift is that we recognize that divine grace helps us to make choices. It helps us to make choices with self-control. And that's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. That we don't have to do it all alone. You see, God created us with intellect and he created us with free will, which meant that we could come to know something through our intellect And then freely choose it. And that's what's so powerful about this gift of human nature. And why God knew that in the midst of our freedom to choose. We'd also need the grace to choose rightly. Because our freedom to choose is for the sake of doing good. Joining me now back with us is Jim O'Day. The Executive Director of Integrity Restored. And we are going to continue to unpack this especially in relation to the crisis in the culture in relation to sexual addiction and pornography, but it's not the only area that is important to talk about self-control. I think that one of the biggest problems when it comes to self-control, whether it be food, having the self-control not to eat something when you shouldn't, or having the self-control to save yourself from marriage or whatever it might be. The problem of today is that we live in a world of endless possibilities and choices. And I think that that can be exciting. And I also think that at the same time, because so many things are attainable for us, in other words, there are so many things available at our fingertips that we wouldn't otherwise necessarily have access to, we have more choices than ever before. And that means we have the capacity to need greater self-control and we have the capacity to exercise less self-control. Almost because we're being inundated with more choices than before. I mean, you go to the grocery store, you have five options for one type of cereal. You have the generic and the name brand, but then you also have a healthier knockoff, a bougie knockoff, and all of these different options for what cereal you're going to eat. But it's not just cereal. Choices are everywhere. Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored, is back with us. Jim, I want to talk about these choices we make and where self-control enters into the conversation and how you see the role of the Holy Spirit being so important in the many choices people are making today, especially in relation to the work you do with people who are struggling with sexual addiction and pornography use. Yeah, we, uh, you know, in my work here at Integrity Restored, we hear it all the time. Um, Self-control is is a big part of the recovery journey, and it's one of the most difficult parts for people. 
Because today, honestly, we live in a world where we're totally discouraged from demonstrating self-control. We're constantly being told in, in, in media and messaging and, and even conversations when we do have them that do whatever you want to be happy. You deserve it. You owe it to yourself. We're kind, kind of inundated with what you were talking about, the more is better mentality. And that's not true. I mean, Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, tells you the definition of self-indulgence is excessive or unrestrained gratifications of one's own appetites. In contrast, the definition of self-control is restraint exercise over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. Now, we need God's help to do that because the way the human brain works we like to do the easiest thing. And the easiest thing is usually to give in to our whim. But living a life of self-control is attainable and it's a process. There was an article a couple years ago, I was surprised, Timory, in Forbes magazine that, uh, and I wish I kept it, but um, it talked about how, how self-control is really important for your overall health. And they did all kinds of studies and looked at all kinds of studies from all around the world. Your emotional well-being, your spiritual well-being, and your physical well-being. And the common denominator against high for getting high scores in all those areas was self-control. Isn't that curious that it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and it's so wow. important to our overall well-being? And isn't it interesting because we can't do it alone. And I think that's what's so rewarding in a peaceful way that God's asking us to all this good. We have our conscience that's convicting our hearts, our minds, our actions, and we have guilt. And a lot of people will talk about Catholic guilt. Uh, I hear many people who have left the Catholic faith refer to Catholic guilt, but it's your conscience working to say, I can do better. But if we miss the fact that in Jesus Christ we can do better with him and only in him, well, then that takes all the pressure off and that Catholic guilt shouldn't be there the way that people tend to cling to it today. And so I think this Forbes magazine article that you're mentioning uh, speaks profoundly into that space of the necessity of success in terms of human excellence and the necessity for God. Well, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And, and here in Integrity Restored, when we're talking to people about a recovery journey, and I think you could use this model, Timory, for any struggle in your life. We talk about three things. We talk about the science, so getting therapeutic help, clinical help where you need it to understand the root problem. We talk about an increase in the spiritual life, frequent reception of the sacraments and spiritual direction. And then finally, we talk about community, your relationships. Because we can't do any of these things alone. And God knows that. And so he built us to live in community with each other and to rely on each other and to communicate with each other. But he also gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit that if we're open to receiving them, and this gift of self-control, I think, is very interesting because I think, this is my opinion, I'm not a theologian, 
But to me, in talking to people, if we don't work on that gift from the Holy Spirit and pray for that gift and cultivate that gift, it's really hard to utilize any of the other gifts in our life that the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. has given us. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think this is where the life of virtue, but virtues received from God, such as the three theological virtues, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, which the latter we're doing a series on, if you have one, you often have them all. And that's why the greatest of all the virtues is charity. Because if we have charity, it infuses. I mean, it's an infused grace. It infuses these virtues in us. And so just as if we practice self-control, but more importantly, pray for self-control, we're going to grow in many areas of our life. Jim, I am curious because you deal a lot with Uh, relationships and the relational fallout as a result of the lack of self-control. Why do you think that self-control is weighing so negatively on relationships without people realizing it? And I, I, to kind of frame that a little bit more where people think that, well, I can do whatever I want. It's not going to impact anyone else, but that lack of self-control and that choice of isolation or believed isolation, that choice is really damaging relationships and people. Yet when they enter into these choices, they think that they're in isolation and won't harm anyone. I tell people all the time, this comes up constantly in my work, Timory, as you can imagine. Well, pornography is not hurting anyone. I don't know why my wife's so upset. I don't understand right. why my girlfriend's mad. I don't understand why my parents care. This is not hurting anyone. Well, number one, that's not true. It's hurting a lot of people. Most importantly, you, number one. And that's a choice you're making. But you know what, my friend? Self-control is also a choice. The difference with self-control is the Holy Spirit will help you with that choice. He will give you the strength. You just have to work on cultivating that habit. But we've come to this place today where it's all about what I want, when I want it, and all about what I feel not about how it's going to impact somebody else. And, and I did a podcast not too long ago, Tim Murray, with a deacon who's been involved in um, marriage prep for over 25 years. And I said to him, I said, you know, one of the biggest problems I have with, with marriage prep today is that we don't really talk about enough, number one, pornography, because most young couples are dealing with it, almost all of them. Mm-hmm. And the second, I don't think and the it's second thing, mind at all. yeah, we don't talk about it in marriage prep, and and the second thing is we don't talk enough about selfishness, mm. because when you're getting into a marriage, I promise you, I've been married thirty five years. It's not going to be a fifty fifty partnership. There's times when you're going to have to give one hundred and ten percent because your spouse can't, for whatever reason. Think of sickness. Think of uh, small children. There's so many reasons. Think of just an emotional state, whatever. It's not, it's not this 50-50. So you have to be willing to give all of yourself to make it work. Mm-hmm. And it just seems that culturally, that's not even normal anymore. 
They don't want to talk about it. Right. And you have to have the self-control to be able to give all of yourself. If you're not uh, yeah, self-contained absolutely. and not giving yourself away or being loose with yourself in other areas, I mean, even just as simple as staying healthy, diet, exercise, if you're not, if you don't have self-control to carve out the time to spend less on one thing, to give more time to exercise and proper eating, well, then you're not going to be able to give as much of yourself to your family. Maybe you won't have as much energy. You know, there's so many things. It's a domino effect of choices. And this is why self-control is so important. Uh, Jim, I want to speak briefly to St. Joseph as a model for self-control. I think of him in particular because here this man is, he has a choice to make. He discovers that his betrothed Mary, they're in that first stage of Jewish marriage before they're living together, And boom, here she is. She's pregnant. And he's planning on setting her aside quietly. And he has to reel himself in when all of a sudden through divine intervention, through a dream, he's told Mary's pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. He had to take a significant amount of self-control to be willing to listen to that message and still make a choice based on that divine calling and inspiration. And then to have this attitude toward Mary of absolute self-control, I think he's the pinnacle of seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit of self-control working in a human person today. And it is supernatural at times. Even even clients I speak to say, I can't believe I got through that without looking at porn. Mm-hmm. That wasn't me. Ah, well, see, here's the thing we're, we're generally doing today, I think. My opinion again, Tim Murray. Um, we're self-medicating ourselves with all kinds of stuff, food, pornography, alcohol, uh, social media, whatever, to numb out something that makes us uncomfortable, whatever that thing is. I can certainly think that St. Joseph was very uncomfortable when he learned what he learned. And he could have numbed himself with something, leaving Mary, going to find another wife, going to gamble, uh, you know, whatever drink of choice was. Uh, But he didn't do that, right? He got introspective and he prayed. And because of that faith that he exhibited, God made it clear to him what happened and strengthened him in self-control That's what we should be praying for. That's what we should be asking for. Yes, we have to work in ourselves to cultivate it as a habit. But we also have to ask for the supernatural gift of it. And that's going to take looking into that stuff that makes us uncomfortable, that stuff that we want to self-medicate, that we want to numb, that we want to take away. Come Holy Spirit, we pray for the fruit of self-control in our lives and those of our loved ones. Okay, so remembering that the fruits of the Holy Spirit are absolute gifts from God. There are seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we're talking about the 12 fruits. The Holy Spirit is God himself given to us. Jesus Christ says, I will send you the counselor, the advocate. We are confirmed in God, the confirmation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are completed and given in us in that gift of in that sacrament of confirmation. And there's a human dimension of practicing things such as generosity and kindness. There's also the dimension of we can't do it on our own. 
That's why God to complete the goodness and the virtue that we are called to so that we can be with him in heaven and be excellent human beings that he created us to be. He gives us these fruits infused as the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so one of those is generosity. I want to challenge you to ask yourself this question. Am I generous? But I want you to think about it and listen to the sobering remark that St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta once said. She said, what is called generosity is usually only the vanity of giving. We enjoy the vanity more. If you can't feed a hundred people, then just feed one. What St. Mother Teresa is saying is that what we call generosity today is just us being like so proud of ourselves. And we could do this publicly or we could do it privately. Oh man, I feel great. I just donated $5,000 to this charity. Or Oh man, I feel so good. You know, I support this charity. Did you know that I support this charity? I really get behind this charity. And there's a balance. There's a good thing saying you support a charity and encouraging others. But we do get into our own heads. Now, it's good to feel good about the good we are doing. But we shouldn't have to feel good in order to do good. I think that that's part of what St. Mother Trace is getting at. She said, we enjoy the vanity more than the fact that we were actually generous. And she makes a comment, not quite qualified, but let's qualify. She then says, if you can't feed 100 people, then just feed one. I thought that that remark was even more striking because there are many people, myself included at times, where you know you think that you have to donate all this money to a charity or you think that you have to make a real change with the donation amount you give or the time that you give. But generosity, there are opportunities for generosity all around us and it's much simpler than we make it. But the problem is, is that I think often we have this all or nothing approach that we're only going to give when we can give a lot. And we think we can do think about doing the maximum good, which it is good to think about doing as much good as we can. But it's also an even greater thing to do good things in the simple moment to moment opportunities we have, maybe in your family, maybe with a neighbor, maybe with that person you encounter in front of the grocery store. It might not be in the massive quantities we hope or expect. I think often people uh, delay or sometimes never get to tithing because they're waiting for themselves to hit a certain dollar amount before they can start doing that. When in reality, we're called to be generous and to give. And sometimes that's less than other times. But there are always opportunities. And one of the things I think we often get wrong is that we understand we look at Catholic theology and Catholic social teaching, we get justice and generosity confused. So justice is understood as giving to someone else what is their due, what is due to them, what they actually deserve. So let's say that there's a family next door and Yes, they're working and they're doing what they can to take care of their family, but maybe they just don't have enough to fully provide for their family, to provide the quite the right amount of food for the family. But let's say my family has plenty of food and we do have food actually in abundance and plenty. I actually have a responsibility out of justice, not out of generosity, to share food with my neighbor. 
This is part of the Catholic Church's teaching of the universal destination of goods. That yes, we have something and it is ours and we own it. We're proud of that, especially as Americans. But just because we own it doesn't mean that it's meant for us. Just because we worked for it ourselves doesn't mean it's meant for us. The universal destination of goods helps us to understand everything we have comes from God and returns to God. And in justice, there are things that we often should be giving to others that don't really belong to us and aren't even considered generosity. Versus generosity is going beyond the need that you can meet of your neighbor in giving what is yours what you might have even needed, not just what you have and have the capacity to share, but what, again, is something that might even hurt a little bit. And some people will say, give into it until it hurts. And I often hear Father Rocky say, give until you smile, because often in sacrifice, it can bring great joy. So a reminder and ways to be generous, time, attention, just attention and time with others, food, things, sharing, donating. But remember, in our fallen human nature, it's difficult for us to share and to give. But Venerable Fulton Sheen says, Never measure your generosity by what you give, but rather by what you have left. We're unpacking the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. We just talked about generosity. We're going to unpack kindness. Now, remembering fruit or is a consequence of the Holy Spirit, I think is one way to think about it. That when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we should be bearing good fruits. You know, when God is a part of our lives, when God is a center of our life, we should be seen and judged and understood by what we bear. It's a pure gift what our Lord Jesus Christ gives us in the Holy Spirit himself. And one of, I think, the best places to turn to when talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit of kindness is St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. He says, and this is chapter three, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, forbearing one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in the body, in one body, and be thankful. St. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 just talked about a number of virtues, compassion, kindness, meekness, patience, thankfulness, charity. And as he unpacks each of these in this short few verses, kindness is right there smack in the middle. And what stands out to me is when, as the church really teaches and emphasizes in the theology, if you have one virtue, you have the all, all of them. And really the chief of all the virtues is charity. If you have charity, you will see an abundance in the other virtues in your life. And kindness is one of those that is so necessary. When I think of kindness, I think of our good and tender and kind mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. When I teach and talk to my baby girl about being a woman and being a good girl, we talk about how Mother Mary's kind and gentle and good. And we ask that Jesus makes us like his mother to be kind and gentle and good. St. Thomas Aquinas affirms that kindness breeds cheerfulness and affability. Those are two things I would love to be. I'm not very good at being affable. I, kind of that idea of 
being amiable, affable, you know, being willing and I think a kind of just not being so difficult. Uh, this good nature that, you know, not that you just become a yes person, but that affability leads you to kind of not just be such a stick in the mud. And I don't mean stubborn, not willing to do things, but that, you know, when people say, hey, do you want to do this? You're willing. You're not always, you know, wanting to do what you want to do. And it's a form of, I think, just being friendly and amiable. It's interesting when you look at other definitions for affability, one of the words that is used is a geniality. We don't really use that in the 21st century. It's something you see more so in older literature and texts. The Catechism of the Catholic Church actually talks about how kindness enables us to avoid rash judgments gossip, and brooding over injuries. We give others the benefit of the doubt and preserve their good name. So by being kind to others, it helps us in our judgments, holding our tongue, and not kind of focusing in on our own injuries, but turning toward others, keeping in mind other people's names and reputation. St. Thomas Aquinas says, the greatest kindness one can render to any man consists of leading him from error to truth. Now, so often we like to think that leading someone from error to truth is telling them what's what and teaching them and educating them and informing them on how to make the right opinion. And yes, those things can be particularly important, especially when passed down to the younger generations, especially your own children. One of the primary calls of people who are married is to have children and to educate them. But when we talk about leading others from error to truth, we first, before we talk about slamming them with book knowledge or opinions or how to speak rightly or vote rightly or whatever it might be, the best way to lead someone as a kindness from error to truth, as St. Thomas Aquinas refers to it, the best way to do that is by our witness, by the kindness and gentleness and patience we show one another. We'll talk about patients here on Monday during our happy hour and how their studies showing and talking about, especially therapists, discussing how patient people are actually happier. And isn't that interesting? It's a virtue. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But kindness, we are doing a kindness toward our neighbor, a service toward our neighbor. When we show them by our actions what truth is. And remember, Truth itself is Jesus Christ himself, who is love, perfect love. That is who Jesus Christ is. And so when we are teaching others truth, we are teaching them what love is, both in word, but even more so in deed, in witness. This is how little kids learn. Little kids are sponges. And little itty bitty babies that I'm learning with my child, she's not a sponge by drilling in her ABCD or putting flashcards in front of her or throwing her in front of a TV and being in awe because she knows all of these different things and all of these different animals because she looks at a TV screen. Yes, that is truth. And she's getting concepts and ideas which are important. But one of the greatest truths that children first learn is the love we have for them from the moment they come out of the womb, to care for a little baby and give that baby unconditional love and unending attention in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, in the midst of exhaustion, 
in the midst of fears and worries and anxieties that everything comes up, that's truth. And that's a kindness that through our witness of love and love that bears all things, even things that are difficult and crazy in this world, that we're still showing that witness that we don't become embittered by the world in fighting for truth. I felt as if this week has been a really difficult news cycle week. And a lot of content has just been heavy. And as people of faith, we can get so stuck up on the evil and the bad and the darkness in the world. But then at the same time, that's what the devil wants. For us to be hung up on what truth is and just want to fight for it and be upset whenever other people don't advocate for it or live for it. But as St. Thomas Aquinas says, the greatest kindness one can render to any man consists in leading him from error to truth. That isn't always with the best argument. It's often with the way we show love. And the fruits of the Holy Spirit, including generosity and kindness, will help us to renew the fullness of the human person and the need for God's grace to get us through the day-to-day, but truly show us how to love and be loved. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I want to talk about our last of the 12 fruits in our series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, and that is gentleness. Gentleness is something that I've actually prayed for since I was in high school, and I remember first learning what the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit are. It was actually gentleness and kindness that I'd pray for because I kind of felt that I had a capacity to be rather harsh. Now, when we talk about gentleness, I often think first and foremost, as someone who personifies gentleness, that would be a mother, and in particular, the Blessed Virgin Mother Mary, the Mother of God. Now, what is gentleness? Uh, Gentleness is also referred to as meekness, mildness, even tenderness. St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa comments on gentleness being the virtue that moderates anger with right reason, a form of restraint or moderation, and a part of the virtue of temperance. So this idea of we're tempering our behavior. And gentleness, again, is something that I prayed for for many years. I pray, Lord, please continue to give me this virtue because I, I do think I have the capacity and potential and even often act uh, as someone who can be very harsh. And many of us have this. And I think it's interesting because as St. Thomas Aquinas says, it's a virtue that moderates anger and often harshness can come with anger. Uh, but when I think of gentleness, I think of a gentle, tender, kind mother. And I think about how Our Lady personifies these virtues. And something I really pray for for myself and now for my daughter is that God grants us the graces that he bestowed upon Our Lady. Who There's that beautiful song where we sing about Our Lady and a line in the song is gentle woman. And I love those words because Our Lady, we know of her gentleness even by the humility in the few moments of words that she speaks in all of sacred scripture. Now, one thing I'd like to talk about as well is where Jesus Christ actually talks about gentleness. One example that is actually given for Jesus referring to gentleness without actually using the word is when he laments the current generation that he sees before him. We see this in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen 
gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. So what Jesus is doing here is he's actually giving us what is often referred to as an example of gentleness. And notice he uses that in a maternal way. A hen who gathers her chicks, bringing them and drawing them gently and lovingly and protectively under her wings. But he says, look, you're not even willing to receive this gentleness. I couldn't even bestow that gentleness on you. I couldn't even treat you like my children because you were ones that have been so harsh. You've killed the prophets. You've sent those who I've sent to save you and to be gentle and loving toward you. And so Christ is showing us how our harshness can prevent his gentleness and mercy from intervening and saving us. And again, that model of motherhood in children is that example we see of gentleness. Now, one time where Jesus Christ actually does talk about specifically gentleness is a passage that I hope many of us remember and turn back to over and over again, because they truly are words of comfort and encouragement. This is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is a yoke? A yoke is that thing that the oxen would wear where the They are side by side, carrying a load, dragging something, right? And that yoke is what helps keep them together and everything so that they can carry that load and move forward. Well, notice they're side by side. So Jesus Christ is saying, my yoke is gentle. Uh, It's easy. My burden is light. I am gentle. And so what we see is that even when God allows us to carry things that are seemingly heavy through his aid, he is gentle. He makes a situation something that is doable. God himself is gentle in his care and his guidance for us. This is fatherly as well. And sometimes I think people think that gentleness, kindness, goodness, some of these virtues are feminine characteristics. But the reality is virtue in and of itself is to live and act and breathe with the instincts and functions of God. And this is why These virtues are so important that we're praying for them. And this is why we've done this series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. 